Hard to interrupt that. So good. You know, one of the, the best parts of uh, uh, when you're away for a week, last week I was uh, preaching in another church, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a, in a minute. But uh, when you come back the next day and everyone that you run into tells you what a great job the preacher did on, on Sunday, you know, I... I I, it's so great. I mean, I'm so proud of Justin. What a great guy he is. And he, you know, he kept joking about what he did wrong to get that passage. Like, what did I do wrong? Why was Bill mad at me? As if he, like, there were some things that he did to deserve that passage. I want you to know he has done that. In fact, we have a whole file of things that Justin has done that we're keeping track of. Uh, and so come back on December 31st and you can see the next passage that he's going to explain the entire second coming in 30 minutes. So uh, I want to give you a moment to pray. Uh, You know, today we're praying, we're looking at a sermon called Open His Eyes. And it's this idea, uh, we'll see this this way of seeing uh, the spiritual realities that are around us. And so I want to invite you to do this. I want to invite you to pray. Would you pray this prayer? Would you just pray? Open my eyes, Lord. Uh, What is it that you want me to see today? about my, my circumstances or about you or what is it that you want me to see? Let's take a moment. Let me just give you a moment quietly just to pray and then we'll jump in. Lord, already so many wonderful thoughts about what it means to know you and to see you clearly and how glorious you are, how, how strong and mighty you are, uh, how good it is to have you on our side. But we pray for the unique way in which maybe we're missing it and the unique ways you want to answer these prayers right now. Uh, open our eyes. Help us see the things you want us to see. We, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, about 12 years ago, I, I had to go to an eye doctor appointment, and I took my wife with me because I was sharing with her just how my vision was getting worse and glasses and contacts and all these kinds of things. But uh, she sat in the, in the uh, appointment with me, and at that time, Kim had no vision issues at all. And so this was kind of a new experience for her. And so it was really interesting when I was doing the exam, uh, you know, we did one eye, and I was able to kind of work my way through it. And then we got to the second eye, and he said, you know, go ahead and read the chart for me. And I said, well, let me tell you this. I know from memory that there is an E at the top of it. Like, and my wife looked at me and said, are you serious? Like, you can't, you can't even see that? I, I, I was kind of like, she's like mocking me, like that I couldn't see it. And I was kind of mocking her back. Like, if I could see it, we wouldn't be here. Like, I mean, you understand why we're here, right? I can't see well. Uh, the inability to see clearly it greatly restricts our life, doesn't it? It slows us down. We miss the clarity of things, the beauty of things. We have the wrong perspective sometimes on things. And this is so true in our spiritual lives because when we can't see spiritually the right things, we focus on the wrong things. Uh, think about when you feel surrounded or overwhelmed uh, when those times come, that how easy it is for us to feel as if we're fighting some kind of uphill battle, as if whatever it is that we're facing... Uh, Whatever is against us, that there's too many, that they're too strong, they're too determined to see us fall, they're too determined to see us fail, and we, we kind of give into that. We feel like the, the forces that are against us are going to win. 
But one of the things that we're going to see today through this man, Elisha, this, this prophet that we've been looking at, is that he prays this prayer, Lord, open his eyes. And his, his, the reason why he prays that is he wants his servant to see something. And it's our big idea today. It's kind of the central idea of what we're going to look at today. So if you're taking notes, here's our big idea. Uh, but here's what he wants his servant to see, that the one who fights for us is greater than those fighting against us. And so when he prays, God, open his eyes, he wants him to see something, that, that those that are for us are greater than those who are against us. We need our eyes open to see this. And so uh, these next two weeks, uh, we're having a chance to, to look at these final uh, stories about Elisha. Next week's a, a really cool uh, week we call it Impact Sunday. And so even within the midst of Elisha, we're going to look back a little on our year and kind of look forward as to where we think God has called us to go. And so we encourage you, it's going to be a really cool Sunday next week. But in Elisha, what we see is that, that uh, we've been seeing this, this man of God that is there for, the, for Israel. He's, he's kind of helping them discern the, things, the times and, and understand what to do. And it's important because they're struggling deeply. They're rebelling from God. Their leaders are rebelling from God. They had 18 kings. Once the, the nation divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom... I mean, their record was perfect. 18 for 18 bad kings in a row. They did not, none of the kings ever sought God. And so there was this troubling uh, situation where the people kept turning away and finding as a result of turning from God and trying to do life on their own or, or through other gods that they couldn't have the life that God wanted them. And so Elisha's trying to pull them back into this. And so one of the things that we see today is the unique way in which he's working with the king to see that God wants to be on your side. And so let me invite you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. If you need a Bible, you want to follow along, there's Bibles in front of you, uh, uh, page 368. So this is pretty early. This is about, I think, about 700 plus years before Jesus comes. And they're kind of waiting. There's an anticipation that someday there will be this king that will come and make all things right. But in the, in the meantime, as they're waiting, uh, they need to trust God. They need to, to, to wait on him. And Israel at this time is fighting with uh, uh, the, the Syrians. Uh, you'll see they're described, they're called the uh, Aramaeans. And they're once again at war. Now, these little raiding parties that the Aramaeans would send out were brutal. They would go in and kind of, uh, they they're kind of like the pirates, right? They go in and they kind of tear down a, a city. They burn it to the ground. They enslave the women and children, kill, kill anyone that they wanted to, take everything. And the, those that they didn't kill, they enslaved. These are bad, bad people. And so what we read is this, they're trying to capture the, the uh, Israel, kind of capture the king. And I want you to see this unique way in which the story takes place. Watch what happens. It says this, that now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. And after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such or such a place. And the man of God, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. And so the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God and time and again, Elisha, as Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He surrounded his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king orders, so that I can send men and capture him. 
The report came back, he is in Dothan. And so they sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now let's stop there for a moment and just kind of feel the tension of what's happening. So uh, here the Arameans are maneuvering, they're scheming, they're trying to find a way to capture uh, the king of Israel. But every plot that they come up with, every chance that they try to get, it's, it's foiled by Elisha. It's really, it's, it, we see, you see the frustration. The, the problem is the king thinks, I must have a mole. Someone is letting them know. And in part, it's true. He, there is a mole, but it's God. God is the one who is whispering to Elisha, and Elisha's telling the king, and the king every step of the way is one step ahead of him and avoiding all the trouble. And so if you're the Arameans, they're thinking, okay, how do we defeat this God? How do we defeat this God? The only way is we got to get his prophet. We got to capture him. So they set up this plan to capture the prophet. They find out where he is. And so this city of Dothan, it's kind of in this valley. There's a ridge around it. And so they come at night and they, they completely surround the city. Every exit, every opportunity to escape is blocked. So imagine what it would feel like to be the servant of the prophet. You get up in the morning to go out and to do your business or collect water or whatever you're going to do. And all you see is this army that is completely surrounded you. Now, two things I want you to see, I think that are important for us to see. Number one is this. Life's opposition can be overwhelming, can it? When, he, when, the, when the prophet's servant sees the opposition and he sees that he is surrounded, this is not a moment of faith for him. This is a moment of overwhelming fear. You can almost feel what it would felt like for him to have his heart kind of drop. That, that, that sense of your, your hands and your knees trembling. Because you've heard the stories of these marauders and the kinds of things that they do. And now they're there. They're here for you. It's just a matter of time until they, they come down, until they seize upon you. And so you hear it in his words, Lord, what should we do? Oh, my Lord. He, he turns to him. What shall we do? You know, Justin pointed out correctly last week that we must accept that misfortune is going to come into our lives. The, the truth is for us as the people of God, we are not immune to uh, trouble. We are not immune to the things that, that are difficult in life. In fact, when we look at a promise like Romans 8, we say that we know in all things God works for the good. All things means all things. It means this. It means that, that we are not immune to cancer and disease and tragedy. All these things are things that we we can experience as well. Jesus himself told his disciples, you will have trouble in this world. You will. He didn't say you might. He said you will. Paul tells Timothy, if you want to live a godly life, any of you who want to live a godly life, you have to expect persecution. There will be trouble in your life. And when trouble comes in the form of any of these things that we might face in our world, this, this kind of suffering, it, it, it takes a toll on us, doesn't it? You feel overwhelmed. You feel burdened. You feel weary. And so it's interesting. Jesus, I think, even understands the, the toll that life can have on us. In fact, one of Jesus' invitations to, to the people was this. He asked the people this. He says, do any of you feel weary? Do any of you feel burdened? And then he said this, then come to me, 
and I will give you rest. I mean, it's such an interesting invitation. I think sometimes you, you, uh, the only thing we think of, you either come to me or you're in like a lot of trouble. I'm trying to just to rescue from all the trouble. You know, I'll get you out of it. I'll get you the get out of jail free card kind of thing. But we don't hear this kind of compassionate cry to people who are burdened because of the things that are going on. They're, they're weary because of the things going on. And he says, if you feel like this, come to me, come to me. Uh, my friend, uh, uh, Mike in high school, uh, he, uh, he got to this place after high school where he was uh, really, really struggling. In fact, he described it to me as, as man, I, I had lost all hope. And I'm not quite sure what I was about to do next, but I, I, I don't think what I was going to do to myself was going to be good. And so he got, he got in, in this situation, somehow, some way, he got a hold of a New Testament and he began to read it like you would read any book. He just started at page one. And so the New Testament begins with the book of Matthew and he got to chapter 11 and he came across these words. Do any of you feel weary or burdened? Come to me. And, he, and I, when he told me this, I thought, man, you're the last person I would have ever expected to pick up a Bible. The stories you used to tell me, I didn't think you'd ever pick up a Bible. He says, you know what? When I heard those words, something resonated in my soul. And he said, that was the moment everything turned in my life because I took Jesus up on his invitation. I entered into this life with him. And if you, if you saw his life now, and I think my friends from high school, they all think, what happened? What happened was this tire wearied, burdened soul came at the invitation of Jesus to find rest. Life can be overwhelming for sure. But also notice this, what happens is that when you feel surrounded, when we feel surrounded, we, we suffer from, a, from spiritual blindness. We see things only from the physical setting, the physical view that we have. Now, this servant of Elisha, uh, quite possibly is basically training to be one of the prophets. So we saw just as Elisha uh, trained under Elijah, he spent 18 years being trained as a prophet, being uh, taught how to, how to do the things prophets do. And so we, kn- we know they have this kind of prophet intern program or something. And it's very possible that this, this servant is one of those learning to, to be a prophet of God. But notice what happens when he sees the circumstances. There's a, there's a blindness there that all he can see is the physical reality. And when he sees the circumstances, notice what he thinks. He feels God has abandoned us. All you can hear in his voice is we're surrounded. There's nothing we can do. What are we going to do? All he can see is the physical. Sight allows us to perceive things from a whole new perspective, but blindness causes us to to miss really important things. Uh, my, my son is uh, severely colorblind. And so we were, at a, we were at a Dodger game. We went into the, the team store afterwards and he wanted to pick out a shirt. And so he picks out this, this pink shirt, this bright pink shirt. And he says, dad, this is blue, right? And, uh, and I'm like, I so badly want to say yes. Um, <laughs> just to see if he could pull it off. And I think he could, but I was like, wow. I felt the same thing my wife felt when she was sitting there. Wow, really? You can't see how pink that shirt is? And so he, but he couldn't. See, blindness does that. There's that when there's a blindness, we, we miss kind of key details going on. And when you feel surrounded by life, maybe you wake up one morning and you feel the pressure of what's been mounting, but now it has hit you and you know your financial situation. Today is a significant day 
or you're in a lot of trouble. Or, or maybe in a, in a relational situation, it's kind of hit this apex moment where you just realize it can get really bad really fast today. Or, or even for when we are trying to live out our faith, think of the times that we try to live out our faith, we try to be obedient to God. Maybe you're a student at school and you're trying to live your faith and you're the only Christian on your team or in your, your group of friends and you're thinking, Lord, I'm trying to be faithful to you, but man, it feels like I'm just surrounded all the time. When we're in those places, there can easily be this feeling of, God, where are you? I feel abandoned. And I know here, here at Beach Point, we, you know, our people, we are not immune to this. We are not immune to trouble. We are not immune to suffering. Uh, we have experienced unfathomable tragedy at times. Things that just, you think, no one should have to experience this ever. And in those moments, it's very easy to just see, God, where, where are you or where were you in these situations? I want you to take note of what the servant did. He, he leaned into a godly person. He couldn't see it. And so what did he do? He leaned into a godly person and he, he asked him, he said, my Lord, what, what should we do? Sometimes when you and I are overwhelmed with fear, we can't see the right thing. The wisest thing we can do is to lean into someone godly and say, I can't see it. I can't see him. What do we do? Now notice verse 16, how Elisha responds. He says, don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. And so he struck them with blindness and as Elijah had asked, Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. As they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill him, my father? Shall I kill him? Do not kill him, he answered. Would you kill those who you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. And so he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Here's the final thing I want you to see today. It is to, to not be afraid if God is with you. Do not be afraid if God is with you. Elisha prays, open his eyes. So you got to think again, this situation. So as he looks out, all he can see as they're in this valley, as he looks up, he sees this army, this physical army surrounding them. Every, every route of escape blocked. There, there's no solution to this problem. And then Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. And when his eyes are open, he can see on basically the ridge over this, this, this even greater army that surrounds this army. Fiery chariots, these angels, all this, this heavenly army that is there. 
And Elisha shares these words, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. And he's pointing out something that when God is involved in the equation, the whole equation changes. As he looks and he sees, he sees what's really happening. In his book, Greater, Stephen Furtick has a, a comment about this moment. And I love, listen to these words. Notice these first three lines. He says this, they are not alone. They never were. And they never would be. Heaven's army surrounds the army that surrounds them. Think about what he's saying. <laughs> they are not alone. They never were. They never would be. And I don't, did, you, did you notice what the prayer was that Elisha prayed? Elisha didn't pray, God, send your army. He said, open his eyes so he can see what you're already up to. The army was already there. God was already at work. He just couldn't see it. And Elisha prayed, help my servant see what you are already doing. Now, sometimes we think these stories are kind of lost and kind of, uh, uh, they're just kind of these mystical stories from, you know, 3,000 years ago. But uh, if you've ever read Billy Graham, uh, his book on angels, it's kind of an interesting, as he tells some stories about this, he, he tells this one story of a, of a missionary named John Patton. He was a missionary in the South Pacific. And in this story, uh, Patton was in this uh, area where the, these tribal uh, uh, leaders had come. They had decided they were going to burn him out of his home and kill him and his wife. And so this night comes and, and uh, this tribe kind of surrounds their compound. They're, they're planning on, on this destruction. And so all Patton and his wife know to do is to pray. And so they kneel on the floor of their home and they just begin to pray. And they pray all through the night. In the morning, they kind of look outside and there's no one there. And they're kind of surprised at how the events of the night had gone on. Uh, but they just thank God for his mercy and his blessing and they, and they went on. About a year later, the chief of that tribe had committed his life to Jesus. And Patton decided to ask him about that night. And so he turned to him and he said, what happened on that night? It seemed like you were there to kill us. And the chief said, we were there to kill you. Uh, we, we had planned on that. But when our people saw all the men you had surrounding you, we got afraid. And he said, what men? Who are you talking about? It was just my wife and I. He goes, no, there were hundreds of men. And they had these kind of shiny uh, gowns and they were holding these giant swords. And our men got super afraid, so we all left. And Patton came to understand kind of in this present day moment that these stories, these things, this moment of Elisha, that these things were still happening. It was interesting, years ago in our church, we, we began to ask the question, had people had these kinds of experiences? And we filled actually a, 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 like about 20 pages of stories of people who were having these kind of interactions where people had kind of miraculously rescued them. They turned to thank them and they were gone. And on and on, and maybe some of you have had some of these experiences. And, and, and it's interesting, the book of Hebrews even says, you know, you should be hospitable. Because the chances are you might entertain an angel not being aware of it. There's this unique way in which sometimes all we can see is the physical. And our eyes aren't open to be able to see the things beyond this that are happening. And so notice what happens as this happens. The, the army comes to attack. Elisha prays that they would be stricken with, with a blindness. 
And it's kind of interesting. I don't know if Star Wars got their idea from this, but doesn't it feel like the episode where, where Obi-Wan uh, turns to him and says, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like if, this is what happens because it's not, notice what happens. This is not a blindness where they're like, they can't see anything, just their perceptions off. And so he says, this is not the prophet you're looking for. Come and I'll take you to the place. He walks them 10 miles into the center of the camp of his enemy. They close the doors behind him, open his eyes, and they're now thinking, oh, great. Now destruction comes for us. And you see this kind of very big twist at the end, don't you? Whole nother sermon. But this grace that's shown and the, and the rating stops. But a fantastic moment of which we see God deeply involved. Now I want to draw you to these words in verse 16 because they're so important. These words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. They occurred 42 times in the Old Testament. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, but 42 different times, beginning in the life of Abraham and moving all through, God tells his people, don't be afraid. Not because you're great, not because you're powerful, but because I am with you. With Moses, he could tell him, don't be afraid. Tell Joshua, don't be afraid. That As I was with you, I will be with him. Tell him to be strong. And courageous. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Then when Joshua gets his calling from God, God walks him through that very thing. He says, look, Joshua, he doesn't say, Joshua, I know what kind of soldier you are. He says, Joshua, don't be afraid because I am with you. So be strong and courageous. Isaiah, the prophet, when the, when the people of Israel were, were basically kind of in rebellion and, he, and he, Isaiah is trying to bring them back and they're going to go through this time of suffering. But then Isaiah begins to give him this sense of hope that God is not done with you yet. He wants them to, to know, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Even Jesus, Jesus begins to, to use these same words. In fact, think of the last night of his life. What does he say to his disciples? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Then again, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. The author of the book of Hebrews actually kind of borrows the, the words to Moses and says, look, talks about things that we worry about and says, don't, don't be afraid. You know that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. John writes this in his letter to his church to say, the one who is in you is greater than those that are in the world. On and on the, the scriptures speak. And then I love this one. In Psalm 91, it says this, that, that God will command his angels. He'll put them in charge over you. The sense of not being afraid because God is able to kind of command angel armies. And for a lot of us, it'd be easy to kind of get excited about the angel armies. Who cares what he does? The, the cool thing is this, focus on the fact that God is watching you and God is paying attention and, and whatever he sends is beside the point. The point is that he is watching and caring over you. And so not only do we see how important it is to surround ourselves and to lean into the people of God, we have, to, we have to surround ourselves and lean into the promises of God. We are not alone. We just have to learn how to see him at work. I was listening to one man share about, uh, he, he went to a bird supply store and he was mentioning to the owner that he and his wife, they had, they, they had bought a hummingbird feeder and they put it in their backyard and they were pretty disappointed. They'd thrown it away because no hummingbirds ever came. And so he was describing it to the, the owner of the store and the owner of the store says, well, tell me where you live. And he told him, he says, uh, I can tell you this, that a, there are hummingbirds there. In fact, a number of your neighbors have 
a hummingbird feeder and they experience hummingbirds all the time. And that area you, you are in, it is filled with hummingbirds. But he said, you just have to learn how to see them. And he began to talk, talk to him a little bit about some of the things that he would need to do. And so he, he bought the feeder, he filled it, he waited until his eyes could get accustomed to the sight of hummingbirds. And once he learned how to see them, he said he could see them everywhere. He said he would go on walks with other people and, and he would notice them, but his friends wouldn't. And he says this, he says, it takes experience. You need to learn to spot them out of the sides of your eyes and acclimate to their habits of zooming and darting and taking shelter on the most obscure branches, even telephone lines. He says, but once you've learned to spot a hummingbird, you will see them everywhere because they are everywhere. And then he says this, he says, God has always promised to be with his people. We can struggle noticing him, uh, noticing him because we have first to learn what we're looking for. God's presence surrounds us. We only need eyes to see him. Last Sunday, I had the chance to uh, go up to San Luis Obispo, First Baptist San Luis Obispo, to uh, commission Jason Hickey as the new uh, senior pastor of First Baptist San Luis Obispo. Jason grew up in our church. He was a, a, a pastor for the last eight years with us here. Before that, he was the kid kicked out of youth group more than any other kid in the history of Beach Point. Uh, and so it was quite incredible to be in that church and just to see the enthusiasm of everyone. Uh, they were so excited about Jason and Jason and his family are so excited to be there and to see this incredible match that had come together. But those of you who are friends with Jason or maybe even he had a conversation with you out on the patio, you know that the journey to get there was not an easy one for him. And there were times I think even Jason would admit he felt like, God, where are you? I feel somewhat abandoned. What was so interesting to me was as I was driving there, uh, that morning, uh, I remembered uh, uh, my experience uh, months earlier. We were uh, up there, our family was up there in the springtime in San Luis Obispo. We were playing in a baseball tournament. And I just kind of like, what a cool town. Uh, if you've ever been there, San Luis, what a cool town, a cool college town, and just the cool places and stuff. And I was sitting there just kind of admiring everything about it. And in my head comes this thought, Jason would be great here. And I went, yeah. And so after I came home, I called up Transformation Ministries, which is this network of churches that we're a part of. And I said, are you guys looking for a pastor in San Luis Obispo? And they said, yeah, actually, they're going to start a search in about two weeks. I said, put Jason Hickey at the top of your list. This guy would be incredible. He can engage college students. He's got all this energy. He's a fantastic preacher. He's a gifted leader. You need to talk to him and put him at the top of your list. And they did, and they put him in with some other candidates, but it became very clear. In fact, I was talking to one woman, and she said, you know, the moment I looked at Jason's profile, she grew up at Beach Point. She left in 1984, and she said, the moment I looked at Jason's profile, there was something that resonated in my heart. This is the, the one. And she said, I started to tear up because I thought how unique it was that I got to be a part of a search, and we were bringing someone from the church I grew up in. She goes, but I couldn't say anything to anyone else. I thought I would kind of, you know, damage the, the, the process. So she said, I kind of held it in my heart. And so as we went through the whole thing, it, it, so here's, so this is embarrassing to admit. So when, when they took Jason on and Jason became their, their pastor, there was a part of me that thought this, thought, wow, Bill, you're a very perceptive leader. Like you have great insight into this into how these things work. Like you, you could see 